This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Tonight, special guest, Matt Harmon, Reception Perception, and Yahoo Sports going to be joining me to talk about the 2022 rookie wide receiver class and also go back and talk about the 2021 rookie wide receiver class as they are set to enter year two. Training camps are set to start kicking off later this week or next week. Rookies are already reporting. The season is upon us. Matt has been a guest here almost every single year. We've been doing Saturday to Sunday. Always really excited to talk to him. We did have some technical difficulties when I recorded with Matt that the first 10 or 12 minutes of the podcast, for whatever reason, did not record. And then for it started recording after that. So before I kind of, you know, segue into the discussion with Matt. I do want to talk a little bit about what we started the discussion with that is no longer uh, you know, able to be listened to because for whatever reason, we had some technical issues on our side and it didn't record. I First question I asked Matt was, we know Jamar Chase had a elite, elite statistical season last year, but I want to know how it checked out in terms of Matt's process, putting him through his reception perception. And the result that Matt talked about was he said it was in the top three of all time since he's been doing reception perception. The other two names that he brought up when I asked him about Jamar Chase was Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie year and Justin Jefferson's rookie year. So Jamar Chase's rookie season was right at the top with Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie season and Justin Jefferson's rookie season in terms of Matt's reception perception analysis in terms of just how strong of a profile it was. So in terms of winning in a variety of areas of the field against man coverage, zone coverage, et cetera, et cetera, Jamar Chase's rookie season profiled it via reception perception right at the top with those other two elite rookie campaigns from Odell Beckham and Justin Jefferson. So that was the first thing we had talked about, unfortunately, uh, due to those technical issues I mentioned. You know, we can't have Matt explain his process, but I just kind of wanted to share a little bit of what he talked about. The second question I asked him was about uh, Jalen Waddell, because we know that Jalen Waddell was not used last year exactly like we maybe thought he profiled coming out of Alabama. And I I posed the question to him, how did he check out in reception perception? We know we had over like 105 receptions. We know a lot of them was the short to intermediate stuff because that is where Tua kind of, you know, is at his best or at his most comfortable. They didn't really push the field vertically down the field. He said, while that was the case in terms of where the, amount of targets were more heavily located. He said that Jalen Waddle still profiled really, really strong in reception perception. He still had a very high, you know, separation rate, win rate in terms of against man coverage. So even though it maybe was a little bit different than what we expected coming out of Alabama and we didn't have as many vertical shots and big play shots down the field, he still really liked what he saw 
from Jalen Waddle and reception perception, you know, really, you know, profile Jalen Waddle as a guy that was creating a lot of separation, you know, in his routes and winning against man coverage and really being successful. Now, two questions I did pose because Matt had brought up that for the first time ever on his website, receptionperception.com, he was doing dynasty wide receiver rankings. He had never done that. They're up on his site. You should go check out and get a subscription to Reception Perceptions. But with those two questions, I, I asked him. I put him on the spot. I said, he mentioned Justin Jefferson when talking about Jamar Chase. They are universally the number one and number two wide receivers in dynasty right now. I asked him the question, who would he prefer? And was there a strong preference one way or another, or was it something to break ties? And his response was he did have them one, two. He had Jamar Chase over Justin Jefferson. And he said to break the tie, it was mostly that right now Jamar Chase was attached at the hip to Joe Burrow. We talked about obviously the way wide receiver movement (laughs) happened this offseason. That doesn't mean if you're attached right now, it's going to be forever. But he said in terms of breaking ties – uh, that was where he would lie. He would he would prefer Jamar Chase in 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 terms of slightly over Justin Jefferson. Obviously, Kirk Cousin, very productive quarterback, been very viable for fantasy. But we don't know the long term, you know, quarterback situation there in Minnesota. Most likely in Cincinnati, it is Joe Burrow without an injury. Most likely, Jamar Chase is going to be attached with him for quite some time. We'll see how long because, like we. Like we saw with Tyree Kill this year and A.J. Brown, things happen. Wide receivers get moved. Quarterbacks get moved. But right now, he said he preferred Jamar Chase slightly over Justin Jefferson. They were his one-two in Dynasty. The other Dynasty perspective question I asked him was Jalen Waddle coming off of his rookie year or now Tyree Kill in terms of now being there in that same wide receiver depth chart in terms of in Miami. Now, Matt said that he still skews a little bit away from just the youth movement that some people rank in dynasty. And he still says like Tyree kill is not someone that he thinks is, you know, past their prime yet. And he still prefers to skew towards a guy who he still believes has a more body of work in terms of what we've seen in a guy like Tyree kill. And not that Jalen Waddle's rookie season wasn't very good, but he still says he prefers Tyree Kill for Dynasty over Jalen Waddle. I don't know. He didn't mention the exact separation between them, but he did prefer Tyree Kill over Jalen Waddle for Dynasty. And he did say that in redraft, he was staying clear of Jalen Waddle where his ADP was right now. And he was preferring Tyree Kill in that format as well. Those were the, the, the two initial questions that I had asked Matt. Where I kind of let in, and this is where the the audio with Matt is going to pick up in, I said, okay, if we take those two wide receivers from the 2021 class and kind of put them in their own separate category or separate tier, if we look at the next five guys, and and those five guys, I think, you know, are, are very intriguing. And it goes from Rashad Bateman, Devonta Smith, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore, and Kadarius Toney. I phrased the question, and this is where the audio is going to pick up, that of those five guys, did anybody's rookie season surprise you maybe more than what you expected of their game when you watch these guys in college? Because Matt looks at all the top wide receivers, puts them for reception perception. So I phrased the question, did any of these guys in this group of five 
surprise him from their rookie year, maybe based on usage, winning versus man coverage, stuff like that, compared to maybe what he had seen about these guys in terms of their rookie film. So let me bring in Matt now and the audio. Matt's going to start by answering that question that I just phrased, and then we're going to finish talking about the 2021 wide receivers, and then we do transition into the 2022 rookie wide receiver conversation and talk a lot about those prospects as well. So here is the rest of the interview with Matt that I recorded uh, that did not get cut off, unfortunately, like those first 10, 12 minutes did as well. Like a centrist on the Gabe Davis debates because I don't want to push him too far down, but I don't want to push him ahead of some of these guys, even if there are questions about the situations for for Smith. For, well, I mean, I'm ahead of Smith, but like for Moore um, and, and, and Bateman and even St. Brown, like I just think these guys, like we've just seen the beginning of them. I, I'm really excited about all of them. And, we, and I could talk about all because I, I was really a big fan of, of a lot of these guys coming in. And, uh, you know, Smith, Moore, Bateman, and St. Brown were pretty much what I expected. And I'm, I'm really actually interested to talk with you about Kadarius Tony because if there was one guy that surprised me a little bit, it was Kadarius Tony. Now, I still think he's really raw as like a true technician against man press coverage. Like that definitely showed up in reception perception. But, you know, I knew he was going to be a great tackle breaker out in space. That checks out in his RP profile. He's a really exciting player there. But his success rate versus zone coverage was much better than I expected. And that's something that we've seen over the last few years. Like, you know, these guys, because the league has transitioned to more zone coverage, you know, more too high coverage, stuff like that. That metric is more and more shown. Like some of these guys like Debo Samuel, some of these guys like Cooper Cup, they've been great zone beaters throughout. You even brought up Juju Smith-Schuster as a great example of when his environment was right and when he was healthy – you know, he was a really good player and he was a good zone beater, even if he was not a great technician, not a great separator on a route by route basis against man coverage on the outside. I, I'm curious what the Giants do with Tony. I know he's going to line up outside. He's, and, you know, Wandell Robinson is probably going to be like their primary slot guy, but I still think they'll get Tony in advantageous situations to move around pre snap. You know, they're going to let Kenny Galladay do his thing as the X receiver. I actually, even if I do have some questions about Tony as an individual player, I do find like his redraft, you know, consensus rankings, like wide receiver 47. I think he's a green light pick at that ADP. You know, I think he's a guy I'm going to rank ahead of consensus, uh, you know, at that ADP. So I, I generally just, I think that Tony surprised me a little bit with how good he was at finding open space against zone coverage, just obviously how fluid and natural as a, a, a mover he is. And if he takes another step, too, as a player and kind of gets to, like, the Debo Samuel Cooper Cup level of beating man coverage, which, you know, they're not some of the best man beaters in the NFL, but they're still, you know, decidedly good. I am I think there's more meat on the bone for Kadarius Tony. So I'm curious what you think about him because, obviously, you follow the Giants very closely. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I almost was leading you with that question, expecting him to be your answer, because I do think the other guys kind of profiled their NFL game very similar to what people expected from them in their college game. I think Kadarius Tony was doing, again, it was a very small sample size. It was like that yeah. two-week stretch and then like the first drive at a Rams game where like he yep. really was just being, you know, a lot of targets, focal point of the offense. So I do think the sample size is very small. But I think what he showed last year, and it was maybe just a product of Florida didn't ask him to do it as much, is 
he showed he can play on the outside a lot more. I think some people have pigeonholed them. And I think, I think some people are still holding on to that, that he could only play inside. And that's why they were curious about the Wandell pick, you know, where Wandell is going to, I think, be exclusively in the slot. I think, you know, Dable and the new staff looked at that film from last year or went back to whatever and said, this guy can play on the outside. I'm sure they're going to move around and do lots of stuff because, you know, guys are moving all over the field and there'll be a lot of motion with, with parts of the KC offense, you know, in, in New York now as well. But I do think Tony, again, if you can get his head on straight, the work ethic, yeah. you know, that stuff we, yeah. we, we can't really talk about. But from what I saw last year, I saw a guy who could be a very impactful player that can win from the outside, can do lots of different things with, you know, and he could be that movable chess piece that you could do a lot of different things with. And, you know, I know some, you know, a, a lot of friends of mine have been doing, you know, best ball underdog drafts, you know, all summer. And they've been kind of telling me that his ADP has been steadily on the rise. You could get him in the yeah. ninth round, then it was the eighth round, you know, and, and now he might even be inching towards, you know, even that late seven, early eight, when not that long ago, it was like, you know, you know, middle of the nine or something like that. Like, you know, I, I know, like I, I targeted him in the Scott Fishbowl. Like, you know, I think I got him in like round 10. Like to me, yeah. that just screams of value. And I think people are still kind of drafting the Giants as if it's the vanilla Jason Garrett offense, and they're not really penciling in that there could be a lot of value to be had. So I think their defense probably will be average. So there could still be a decent amount of offensive stuff that has to go somewhere. I don't think they're going to be as incompetent. I think the O-line has improved. Uh, we'll see what they can get out of Daniel Jones, probably his last year in New York. Uh, but, yeah. but I think Tony's a really interesting piece there. Obviously, he didn't have as much sustained success as some of these other guys we're going to talk about, uh, you know, like Amonra St. Brown, for example, even Devonta Smith. Uh, but he's really – it's going to be interesting to kind of see where his trajectory is because I do think he has maybe as much of a high ceiling as some of these other guys. And I don't think people would have thought that maybe just a year ago, but the sample size so small. So interested to hear that, that you kind of kind of agree with him being a value and, and he's surprised a little bit compared to maybe what we thought coming out of college. From that other group of guys, Devonta Smith, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Amon Ross St. Brown, if you're going to say one, is you're going to pick one from that four, biggest breakthrough this year or breakout, I know it's hard because all four of them could be the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're yeah. one of the four that you would that you would kind of say I'd put my chip on him. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, I, I think from like a pure, I, I guess I kind of don't want to include Amon Ross St. Brown in this because I think I'm probably gonna. I think in in like my redraft tiers, he's the highest of this group. But he, we've also seen the most of exactly. Him. I think so. I almost think the conversation around him is is weird too because you know people want to tell you like, oh, he's not going to do what he did to, to end last year. It's like, yeah, of course. If he was going to do that, though, he'd be drafted in like the top 10 receivers. He's not of being – he's like consensus ranked wide receiver 30. So I, I don't really care about that part of it. We know he's not going to do what he did to end last year. Nobody wants you to believe that. But I still think he's a really good player, and I want to bet on that archetype of player. You know, I called him Bud like Cooper Cup coming into the NFL draft. He ends up getting drafted by the you know a guy with the Rams front office background as a general manager, the former Rams quarterback. So I do want to say like I'm I, I'm like on the very pro side of Amon Ross St. Brown, but I think the guy that's gonna have the biggest breakthrough of this group is probably Rashad Bateman, and and I'm a big fan of Elijah Moore too. So it's really tough to break the tie between those two guys, but I think Bateman is just. Such a good player is, a, a, again, an archetype of receiver the Ravens have not had, certainly in the Lamar Jackson era, but probably not for like the past 10 years. I mean, because I think he is 
a young ascending true X receiver that can beat man coverage. It can beat press coverage. It can, and is smart enough to get open against zone coverage as well. And, you know, that's important because when you're playing with a mobile quarterback, like Lamar Jackson, you're going to see a lot of zone coverage because teams don't want to, you know, fa- put, put their guys in man coverage and turn their back to a guy like Lamar Jackson. Cause he'll just beat you up from a scrambling perspective. So I think Bateman checks every single box. I want to see in reception perception, you know, 72% success rate versus man coverage. That's a green light mark there. Like I mentioned, can beat zone coverage as well. I just don't, I think from a player perspective, I don't really have any questions about him. And even from an offensive overall volume perspective, you know, I think that Mark Andrews and him could combine for like over 50% of the overall passing targets in in, in Baltimore. And that's more than enough really to get those two guys where they need to go uh, from a redraft angle. Great player tied to a quarterback. I believe in you theoretically, hopefully Baltimore can get this contract done with Lamar, whatever. So overall, I think Bateman is the guy that's going to take the, the, biggest step of this group because I also think from a rookie perspective you know he was injured really didn't do much statistically scored one touchdown um, I think Bateman's going to take the biggest jump here yeah I, I do agree that Bateman is the guy obviously Marquise Brown there obviously Mark Andrews would be a focal point of that but I do think Bateman is a guy that could emerge there they don't really have they don't throw to the backs too often they don't have another guy I still think they could be an interesting spot if a veteran signs there yeah. like Will Fuller or Julio Jones or down the line Odell but it sounds like he's going back to the Rams but I, I do think Bateman is that guy and you know if A.J. Brown wasn't in Philadelphia, I think they might be more saying, okay, maybe Devonta takes another step. But I, I just think there's only – I think Devonta will be good this year, but are they going to let you know Jalen Hurts just like unleash it 550 times? It's probably, it's probably no to that statement. So no. it could prevent maybe that major statistical breakthrough you know, for Devonta Smith because obviously A.J. Brown is going to be peppered with targets there. They have a good tight end, Dallas Goddard. Uh, so I, I think that is probably the deterrent the, the against Devonta Smith. The, the C's kind of pardon for Bateman. He's a special player in his own right. Uh, but it just shows you, like, those seven guys, like, that's an unbelievable yes. draft class. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. From an elite player in Jamar Chase, a guy who could be elite in Jalen Waddell, and then these other five guys who could really become perennial, you know, like, really valuable wide receivers, not only in their NFL teams, but also for fantasy. Last question about that uh, set of wide receivers. You said you went a little bit deeper in terms of the second-year guys. Is there one, none of them really put up, you know, much statistically wise because the volume was kind of limited. But from that next wave of guys, I think you mentioned Terrence Marshall, Josh Palmer. I'm sure you looked at Nico Collins, maybe Rondell Moore. Uh, Is there one from that group that if you said, okay, maybe if we revisited this next year, they might not be with that second group that we just said extended out to seven, but maybe they could at least be on the doorstep close to them in, in dynasty ranks or for redraft ranks maybe one one of them can make a jump and be at least in the proximity because i would think you would agree that there's a pretty hard cutoff after that top seven yeah 100 percent agree that's that's a cutoff like i i could see any of the guys we just mentioned maybe with the exception of of, of tony but definitely like saint brown bateman moore smith like if any of those guys just went on that rocket ship this year, like I could see those guys being like top 10 dynasty ranked receivers by this time next year. But a guy that I think that could, could take that leap into being this group. And I really think he's probably like one of the most underrated uh, receivers coming in right now. Cause nobody likes the Houston Texans is Nico Collins. Like Nico Collins is going to probably walk right into a starting job. 
um, as the outside X receiver for the Houston Texans alongside Brandon Cooks as their you know kind of speed flanker guy. And I think he showed a decent bit as a rookie. You know, I think people talk about Josh Palmer. They talk about Rondale Moore. Um, Terrace Marshall was awful last year. I mean, (laughs) from a reception perception angle, really, really, he was my, he was the most disappointing of the second year receivers because I kind of liked him a little bit coming into the, coming into the NFL, but his rookie season just, you know, like very Jalen Rager ish in terms of getting open, getting separation, which is not what you want to hear. Spoiler alert. Uh, Yeah, no. Uh, Nico Collins, though, man, I, I think he showed a little bit. Like I said, Kind of average as a separator against man coverage, but 68th percentile success rate versus press coverage. That's pretty good, Mark. You know, I think he can really be a strong separator on intermediate routes. Um, Again, I don't know that he's ever going to be, you know, like an Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman type of route runner type of separator, but there were some sort of like poor man's T Higgins ish marks in his RP profile as a rookie. And I, again, he's like basically completely free in drafts right now because nobody wants to touch the Texans. But, you know, Paul Davis Mills wasn't like, horrible as as a rookie he was probably the second best rookie quarterback after mac jones last year certainly from a statistical angle so um i think there's some hope for the texans offense there you know cooks is a proven vet we know what he can do but you know texas texans x receiver uh nico collins i can see that john mechie is like a potential nice slot receiver when he gets healthy like they're kind of if you squint at the texans it's like okay this looks like a a decent receiver core and i feel like nico collins is a guy that just is really slept on right now. Um, I have him like 13 spots in my rankings ahead of, uh, ahead of consensus ADP for this year in redraft. Yeah. I, you, you kind of mentioned it and John Mechie, who they obviously drafted in the second round. There's no guarantee he's ready for a while. And even if he is, no. he can, it can be a very slow start, you know, to, to his NFL career due to the injury. So, you know, if Davis Mills even shows a little bit of progression, that could only mean good things for a guy like Nico Collins. So this, this wide receiver class, I, I think, Probably one of the more fascinating ones in terms of the, of their, some of their success in, in year one, potential breakthroughs in, in year two. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to kind of follow them closely because I do think uh, there's a lot of guys here. And even some of those other guys, I, I know I'm a little bit intrigued with Josh Palmer as well to see, you know, if he's the guy who's on the field regularly as that third wide receiver. I think that will kind of dictate – you know, his value for redraft and then maybe what they think about him long time, long term for dynasty. Cause I think a year ago at this time, people thought maybe Mike Williams was not going to be there long term. And then mm-hmm. he obviously had a great start to his year and, and then they re-upped him uh, with a long-term deal. So we'll kind of see if Palmer gets that opportunity. Let's kind of pivot this over to the new class of players. And let me just kind of open the floor. It, is there one guy that Putting them through reception perception, you because every every analyst that's came on, I've just kind of asked them like, who was your favorite pre-draft guy, you know? And then like, is that still the guy you would have taken first in a rookie draft, or is a rookie draft still lingering out there for you? How would you answer that question? Is there one guy that when you put through reception perception on their college film, he would have been the guy you're like, I like him most, and would he still have been the guy post-draft that you would say, yeah, if I'm taking a wide receiver after Brees Hall or even ahead of Brees Hall in rookie drafts, this would be the guy? Yeah, I think the answer to that is Drake London. Um, I think he was the guy coming into the draft I would have ranked number one. And in terms of rookies, like for this year, I think he's still the guy that's number one. Um, you know, I, I think he can get open. think he can get separation. You know, as a guy very in like a – 
you know, Saints Michael Thomas type of mold, uh, like a zone beater really works those good underneath uh, routes. I mean, he's a guy that's going to pile up targets for the Falcons this year, you know, a player they can move inside as a big slot. But I also think because, you know, he, he can win contested passes, like he can function as an X receiver and because he can beat press coverage a little bit like that. There's he, he, I really liked him overall, just solid, checked a lot of boxes. But the guy that I'm, I'm like really, really high on, and I just want to keep pushing up like higher mm-hmm. in redraft rankings evenly, is Chris Olave because I think he was clear cut best route runner in this class, number one in success rate versus uh, man and press coverage among the guys charted this year. I think he can like his upside to me is is not talked about enough because especially the pairing with Jameis Winston too. You know, Chris Olave can win deep. He can get open down the field. And Jameis Winston, we know, is going to give guys chances to win in the vertical game. And But overall, these guys who get open, these guys who who can separate at all levels, like a very Calvin Ridley-esque to me is Chris Olave. You know, a guy that we, people thought was just going to be a number two receiver coming into the NFL, but obviously his career has gone off track, has Calvin Ridley, but looked like he was ready to ascend to that group of like true number one receivers, you know, top 10 receivers in the NFL. I think Chris Olave could be in that discussion if all things go right. And there's just a lot of volatility in New Orleans with the aforementioned Michael Thomas. If he's, um, it, it, you know, if he's there, it, it, how, how good is he still? It's been a long time since we've seen him. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for Chris Olave to have, you know, a floor, but also a really good ceiling this year if uh, things don't go well with Michael Thomas, even though it seems like it's trending in the right direction. But with him, you never know. That, that's true. And, and, and I, I think you're right in terms of now, listen, the Saints need him to hit big, right? It, you know, the cumulative amount of picks that they gave up for Chris Olave yeah. was, was quarterback crazy. Right. Yeah. It yeah, was it, not. Yeah. 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 When it, you, pl- it, when you pull on the thread there, it go, it's like, wow, they really gave up <laughs> a lot of picks to get to and, number 11 to select Chris Olave. Exactly. And, and we do, as people who evaluate this, we do have to separate that from the player, right? Because the yeah. player himself, I think you said it perfectly here for the last, maybe almost two years, because I thought he was going to come out last year, Chris Olave. The guy that the, – the two the, – the meshing of who I said I thought Chris Olave could be is you talked about the route running. I saw a lot of Terry McLaurin-esque in, in Chris Olave. Oh, yeah. But sense. then on top of that, the vertical ability – like I said, he was almost part Terry McLaurin and then part Will Fuller with the vertical mm-hmm. component too. Like, and if you put them together, you're talking about a guy who could be a really special really player. good player. Yeah, like, yeah you know, yeah. a guy that can that that could win like Terry McLaurin, but then also win vertically like Will Fuller has when we've seen him be healthy. You know, and, and on the football field. So I think Olave's ceiling is really high, and I do want to circle back to Drake London because I heard you recently on on the Established Run podcast with Adam and Evan, and you were talking a little bit about this with Mike Williams, and I think this maybe kind of classifies with T Higgins as well. I do sometimes feel like bigger guys, you know, the bigger style wide receivers. And I think obviously Drake London falls under that. Sometimes they get blanketed with they can't separate. No, they're not going to separate probably at the level of a Jamison Williams or or Chris Olave. But when you watch Drake London, did you have any separation concerns when you put him through reception perception or you think for a guy his size with the other skill sets that he had, he would just be fine? You think he can win outside consistently enough at the NFL or you think he's going to be that hybrid big slot at times and then also outside? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be smart to have him as like a 40 to 50 percent slot player. 
Um, but I mean, some of the best receivers in the NFL are doing that. Like, you know, so that's great. But um, no, I didn't have any separation concerns. You know, 73rd percentile success rate versus man coverage for collegiate players, like playing at that level of competition is pretty good. Like, that's fine. So I, I didn't have a lot of separation questions. You know, his success rate versus man coverage was like not that far off from Jamar Chase uh, in his in his college, you know, profile. And that, that was another guy that, you know, people were like, hey, he's not a great route runner. He's not a great, you know, is he can't, can't this, that and the other. But like he obviously did it at the NFL level, did it at a high level at LSU. So um, I really like Drake and didn't have any separation concerns i agree that yeah bigger receivers sometimes get typecasted the the poster boy of that is mike evans like mike evans is a guy that people still think is just a jump ball receiver but that's crazy if you actually watch mike evans and what he's done over the last few years like he's been a consistent over 70 percent success rate versus man coverage for most of his seasons in the nfl in reception perception one of the most underrated separators underrated route runners out there like if you have good technique it doesn't matter how big you are. Like, you'll get open. And I think Evans is a good technician. I think Drake London also really underrated as a technician as well. Yeah, I, I think over the last, I don't know, maybe four or five years, people have been easy to stereotype bigger guys because of the fear of, like, Laquan Treadwell and Nikhil yes. Harry, right? And and we have we have to try hard sometimes to not pigeonhole everybody to be those guys, right? Those guys didn't make it you know, for a variety of reasons, some of it, their ability to separate or lack there of separating, but that doesn't mean every bigger guy, you know, can't separate. And I think that's where we sometimes, you know, fall into that trap. And sometimes people fall into that trap and and that's just not necessarily the case. Like I was a big T Higgins fan, but I knew people coming into the league. They were, there were some people who had questions about T Higgins because of Nikhil Harry, because of Laquan Treadwell. And I just thought there was a, a separation between what T Higgins did in college. And I wasn't charting anything like, like, like you, like you do when you put him for reception perception, but on film, there did seem to be for me a difference between a guy like Laquan Treadwell and a guy like Nikhil Harry, who I wasn't that high on compared to a guy like T Higgins and Mike Williams, both coming out of Clemson, who I, I was bigger fans of when they were coming out. You know, it's not a one size fits all. And I think sometimes people are a little bit too concerned, you know, just about prototyping size frame and thinking they're going to be similar to somebody who may be busted. But there's plenty of guys who've had success as well. So, you know, that's something. And Nikhil Harry, too, like I th- I said, you know, people can find the receipts of this. I, I saw like I said, like he had to play in like a Larry Fitzgerald big, big slot receiver role. To, to succeed at the NFL because it was just obvious he was never going to win as an outside receiver. Um, by the way, he's never been used in that role, right? Like the Patriots, for all the things that they do well, they have basically stuck him out as like an X receiver and you know maybe like sometimes as like a blocker, right? Like that's about the best thing he's done for them. So, I mean, yeah, sometimes it does come down to like how are these guys going to get deployed? Um, and I think but that in, in some way – that almost gives Drake London and these type of guys more flexibility because if he truly can't win on the outside, which I do not think Drake London has the same concerns as Nikhil Harry at all. I mean, they don't even like, they just don't play the game the same way. They don't, they weren't used the same way in college. Like it's it's not really a good comparison, but if Drake London flops as an outside receiver, like I think the Falcons who have been, you know, with Arthur Smith and stuff like that, they've been pretty good about positional versatility. Look at what they did with Kyle Pitts last year. Um, look at what they did with even Cordero Patterson last year. And then obviously like AJ Brown and Corey Davis uh, with the Titans offense. Like, I think there's going to be some flexibility that if Drake London can't win on the outside, can't hack it as an outside receiver, 
there's some flexibility there. There's a decent floor for him as a slot receiver. So I think that gives him ways to, you know, more insurance, I guess, for Drake London. Yeah, and and Drake London is a guy that I wasn't as high as some other people. Uh, I never saw the Mike Evans comparisons. I thought Mike Evans showed a lot more vertically yeah, down the field in college. But, but the guy I kept coming back to, and if he's this guy, and he might even be better than this, I kept saying, I think he's Brandon Marshall, and look how good Brandon Marshall yes. was. And he played a lot inside. He played outside, obviously, as well in two wide receiver sets. But he was very good. He had good footwork. You know, if he's Brandon Marshall, I think Atlanta will be very happy. Brandon Marshall, you know, had a great statistical career and was a great wide receiver for a long time in the NFL. I, I think that's probably, in my opinion, his best form of deployment. But if there's even more, and I know some people said they could think he could be Mike Williams, and that means more of an outside guy, then that's even better to expand his profile. But I think you talk about – a, a really high, uh, a really high floor. If for some reason he can't win on the outside, and Atlanta does a good job of kind of putting people in the right, uh, the right place. You talked a little bit about Chris Olave before, and and how he checked out on reception perception. What about his teammate Garrett Wilson? And right now, if you had to pick Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, do you have a clear favorite between the the Jets are hoping they're you know their wide receivers for at least the next three, four, five years? Yeah, so I have uh, in my dynasty rankings in the same tier, I have Garrett Wilson 21 <laughs> and Elijah Moore 23. So I'm like totally hedging there. Um, in redraft, though, I'm I'm pretty like I'm pretty bullish on Elijah Moore over Garrett Wilson this year. Um, and I, I like Garrett Wilson a lot as a player. Um, I think he's really exciting as a player in the open field, right? Like I talked about, you know, Kadarius Tony as a guy that breaks a ton of tackles in the open field. Jamar Chase is a, you know, guy who breaks a ton of tackles in the open field. Uh, Wilson is that, is that special, I think after the catch, um, but pretty underrated, I think as a technician, I think he gets open against zone coverage. He gets open against man coverage. Um, I just think it's a really good tandem, Garrett Wilson, and Elijah Moore uh, for the long term, And, you know, I, I think Corey Davis is like a fine player, but I think he's kind of more of like a Jag, you know, just another guy sort of for them, uh, for the New York jets this year. I think he could still be a decent player, but, uh, not really in the long-term plans, obviously. So I think long-term, I think Wilson and Moore are kind of neck and neck because I'm just that high. I'm that excited about Elijah Moore. But, you know, this year for sure, I think more over Garrett Wilson. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that in terms of redraft and for Dynasty. And I do think they're close because, you know, I, I really like Elijah Moore as a player as well. And I do really like Garrett Wilson. If we, we talked about before, it kind of came up with Nikhil Harry in terms of deployment. Let's talk about the guy who I think deployment early in his career will be of critical importance for him to have success as he refines, hopefully, and develops more his game is Traylon Burks. Now, I do think there is a little revisionist history about what A.J. Brown was asked to do at Ole Miss compared to and how quickly he developed his game in the NFL. So so when, when I hear Daniel Jeremiah talk about, you know, that being the comp, if he's just talking like deployment, AJ Brown from Ole Miss, I kind of get it based on their size and physicality. Now, if we're talking what AJ Brown quickly showed he could be in the NFL, then I think that's that's a wide it's a wide net in terms of the differences in their games. When you view Traylon Burks, I know where you're going with this in terms of how he needs to be used. Do you think? if he's used that way early on and then is given time to refine and develop his skills, do you think he could be someone that's successful long-term? See, I, th- I thought AJ Brown just showed so much more. I mean, they both were lined up in the slot a ton, but like 
Traylon Burks is doing some goofy stuff. You know, there's a lot of like, <laughs> there, there's a lot of um, fluff in like his yards per whatever, because he's just like not really doing wide, like wide receiver things very often. Um, that, you know, that said, like, I think if Traylon Burks ends up being like, I, I'm not really that concerned about him developing into like the next AJ Brown or something like that. If he just turns out to be like a really good big slot receiver, that's fine because he he certainly has at his best has a lot of juice. He has a lot of ability to break tackles in the open field. You know, success rate versus zone coverage was actually pretty good, eighty two point two percent. Like, that's that's fine for for a guy that lines up in, on the inside a ton. Um, I think he's got a long, long, long way to go to being like a a true outside receiver. And obviously, like it would be great if he could practice. That would be a nice start um, <laughs> this off season. So, cause that's already a question. So I think there's a lot of room for him to grow as like a outside projection receiver, but I know like the Traylon Burks bros don't like this comparison because everybody hates Juju now. Like we talked about at the top, like was a guy that was once like top dynasty ranked receiver. And now, you know, he's kind of like a bit of an afterthought, but if he just ends up being like a big slot receiver, like a Juju Smith Schuster, I think that's a pretty good career for, for Traylon Burks. Yeah. And I remember you were at the forefront of, of saying that's where you thought Juju was going to be you know, at his best in, in terms of, you know, his, his NFL career. And, and the thing with those two players, if that's what he is, I, I think you're right. And the thing is, I do think there's more juice to Traylon Burks in terms of after the catch. So even if he, even if he's the similar style player to Juju, I do think he can maybe make more happen after the catch as a big slot receiver, which could then maybe make him a little bit more dynamic than the guy like Juju. But it'd be interesting to kind of see his, his usage early on, Obviously, my guess is they're going to hit him on a lot of like RPO, quick slants, and stuff like that. If they, you know, yeah. play actions to, to Derrick Henry and stuff like that to, to kind of get him the ball in space. So, some of that goofy stuff you talked about, if Tennessee's smart and the way they run their offense, you, we might see some of that continue if, like you said, he could actually get on the field. Uh, talk about a couple more guys here, a couple quick hitters here to round out the, the, the episode. A lot of times when there's a really fast player like Marquise Brown in the past, I know you, you came on and said he's got a lot more refinement and route running to his game than people were giving him credit for. And there's always that guy, right, that, that elite burner. Now, obviously, we didn't get to see Jameson Williams' task due to, you know, the injury, you know, uh, in the playoffs there. When you put Jameson Williams through reception perceptions, was his game – similar to when you talked about Marquise Brown or even maybe Jalen Waddle last year, much more well-rounded than sometimes people gave him credit for. Yeah, I think Waddle's a, a good comp because he can certainly beat man coverage. Uh, that that I think is really exciting about Jameis Williams. There is some refinement to his game. You know, he's fast as hell, like you mentioned. I mean, like he's going to run by everybody on the defense. Like SEC defense is going to run by everybody on the defense at least once or twice per game. Um, but at the same time, the the technique is there. I think the separation to like throttle down and snap back to the quarterback. That is, you know, there's some of that that you can see there. Um, overall, really, just think Jameis and Williams. It is a really good player, and I think he's exactly what the Lions offense needed. I could see why they were so gassed up to get him, why they were so excited with the prospect to trade up to get him, because you know those Rams off offenses back with Jared Goff, they obviously needed like a you know that Bud Light Cooper Cup, like I talked about earlier. That's Amon Ross St. Brown. Like they need that layup receiver, but they were at their best when they had a guy like a Brandon Cooks there in 2018. Like that allowed Cooper Cup before he got hurt that year to be even better. You know, that allowed Jared Goff to be better. So I think that there's this is just a really good fit there for Jamison Williams. And I'm I am excited about the player. Yeah, I right on there with Jamison Williams. I think 
Detroit made that bold move and didn't even end up costing nearly as much as it probably should have. No, I know it's crazy. To, to yeah, it's crazy. Like an in-division trade and, and it did not cost them what the expectations would have been. And even for where some of the other trades were final two questions in a night, I'll just kind of pose them and then open the floor to, to finish it off. What reception perception thing about Jahan Dotson? Because I think a lot of people, he had really poor quarterback play at Penn State. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like hard to fathom and hard to watch poor quarterback play. So that's why I think a thing like reception perception, which kind of just tries to get that out of, you know, the, the evaluation process, it would be really interesting to hear take. I was really high on him film-wise, and I feel like a lot of people are kind of grouping him with the round two wide receivers. And I think he deserves to be mentioned with that, maybe not at the top of the wide, the round one guys, but I think he's very much closer to those guys than he is the round two guys. Where do you kind of feel about Jahan Dotson from reception perception? And then one non-round one wide receiver from the George Pickens, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, Wondell Robinson, the rest of that, that you were most, that, that, that maybe charted out best from reception perception or you're most excited about. Yeah, Jahan Dotson, great zone beater, 96 percentile. Use the I do a superlatives article that's free. If anybody's new to reception perception, they want to check it out. You can go to the website and see the prospect superlative article, kind of to test it out. See see if you like the like the metric stuff like that. 96 percentile called him the best zone beating receiver in that superlatives article, and I also think he has the best hands in the draft class too. Um, you know, for all of his crappy quarterback play, like you mentioned, consistently got open down the field against zone coverage, but also just so reliable. I mean, I think he is just – I get he was overdrafted based on what people expected, but, man, Washington, like, needed somebody reliable uh, alongside Terry McLaurin. I still like Curtis Samuel, but obviously barely played last year. So they have an interesting little receiver trio, does Washington there. I really like John Dotson. I'm a big fan of his, and I thought it was like a shame that people kind of double-counted him getting, quote, overdrafted against him in rookie drafts this year. I think he can really be um, an exciting player for, for Washington as kind of like a, a Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett type of slot receiver for them. Let, um, me, let me jump in one second. Do you think the way I kind of classified him in the, in the leading up to the pre-draft was I think he could be Deontay Johnson, but with significantly better hands? I mean, yeah, I can see that. I, I think that Johnson's probably a better receiver against press coverage, probably a better receiver against man coverage. But um, yeah, and the crazy thing about Deontay Johnson for his like size and stuff like that, he's won consistently as an outside X receiver. I'm not totally sure I see that with Jahan Dotson, but wouldn't be surprising because he's so technically refined. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. And the other thing too is like they have Terry McLaurin, they'll probably use him as their primary outside receiver. But I think they can do a lot of creative stuff like moving Samuel and Dotson from like the slot and flanker position. I could certainly see that. Yeah, and you know whether it's Carson Wentz, who I doubt for the long term. There's no, it, yeah. they have two. Yeah, they have two guys that I could really be fun for whoever maybe the next quarterback is. And then final question, I, I kind of mentioned it before: a day two wide receiver that charted out really well, either in reception perception or you're most excited about. Yeah, I, I think it's Sky Moore. Um, obviously, you know you have level of competition concerns, but he was awesome against all forms of coverage. Uh, awesome at getting separation at every level. And he's just somebody that, man, I mean, I think when he gets on the field, and he will get on the field at some point for the Chiefs, I don't know if he's going to start week one. Like, I'm not going to, you know, go crazy drafting him uh, in redraft. I think some of his his ADP did get out of control in, like, early best ball drafts right out of the draft. But 
I think he's a guy that could play on the outside for Kansas City. And, you know, if not, then he's going to be a great slot receiver for them in the long term, depending on if Juju catches on there or not. He's just on a one-year deal. But, yeah, man, Sky Moore really just – I think he – has he has a shot to have a really high ceiling and i think that pairing obviously with kansas city is very exciting yeah i mean obviously if he develops a quick rapport with with patrick mahomes the the sky the ceiling is really you know high for him there uh matt always a pleasure to have you on so much fun talking second year wide receivers these rookie wide receivers i am sure most of the SS audience follows you, but please let them know where to follow you, what you're working on as training camps are pretty much set to open up next week or anything else you want to share with our listeners. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, would love if everybody would check out the Reception Perception site. Uh, like I said, there's some free content up there if people want to try it. But it is, you know, of course, I would love for everybody to subscribe. But, yeah, appreciate it, Paul. This is always great talking to you. And, like, this is just the fun group of wide receivers to talk about. Second-year receivers, rookies, and uh, hopefully we brought some people some good stuff today. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following Matt. Make sure you're following all his great work over at Yahoo. And please go check out the Reception Perception website. Subscribe to that. There will not be a better analysis on the wide receivers than you will find from Matt's Reception Perception. So definitely go check it out and subscribe. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.